0: where you can also learn more about working with me. This is episode number eight of the Still Space podcast. Notice the quiet lessons, not the loud ones, from your past. This episode is specifically organized around building your self-awareness so that you can have power in your life so that you can self-regulate those racing thoughts that hold you back so that you can learn to self-accept in those moments of great doubt, self-sabotage, self-criticism. First, I have something really special that I can't wait to share with you. Most of you know that I work by day as the CEO of a $31 million organization, and I coach a handful of clients in the evening. Now I have taken the tenets of mindful leadership and put that into a training program so that you can fast track your career leadership while also balancing that with a good night's sleep healthy eating habits, and close relationships. I call this program Mindful Leader Satisfied Life. Not only will you have the training, you also get one-on-one coaching with me. Not a group, one-on-one coaching with me so that we can unravel your personal assumptions that are holding you back. You will no longer be unnoticed, undervalued, and inadequate, feel judged, and that others think that there's something wrong with you, and you start thinking there's something wrong with you too because you're getting passed over for promotions, new roles. No longer doing all the things you hear you should be doing. Sigh of relief, right? With only defeat and the fear that failure is in your DNA forever dogging you in the back of your mind. You'll no longer be disconnected from colleagues, friends, and family, or following the shoulds that make you feel you're still behind the curve and might even lose everything altogether. No longer frustration about habits that show up in terms of snacking, disjointed relationships, vices, poor sleep. No longer making excuses while not actually getting any closer to high performance. So if you're interested in this program, all you have to do, is go to my website, maryleegannon.com. Click on the link on the top that says Coach with Mary Lee. It explains all about the program. Fill out a few questions on the questionnaire so that I know a little bit more about you and I'll reach right out to you and we'll set up a time to talk and we'll get you started. No longer will you have to wake up and say, I missed an opportunity. I wish I had. Please remember that I can only take a few clients at a time and I already have a full book right now. So I'd like to make sure that you're on the list. So head over to Mary Lee Indiana.com. Click on coaching with Mary Lee. Let's get started. We all have drama and sometimes even trauma from our past that replays in our heads over and over, especially when we want to try something new. You know that voice. Oh, don't risk. You might fail. Don't try, don't reach out, don't talk at that meeting. So we play small because if we fail, then we'll fail small. That's not a way to be happy. It's not a way to lead. Those stories make us relive episodes of our lives that we want to replay in a different way or we want to forget and that we regret. And we personalize them. Our egos tell us, stay safe, risk nothing. We want to free our thoughts of these stories, but they are loud vivid and prevalent. I'm not good enough, smart enough, educated enough, liked enough, attractive enough. And so the list goes on. We think there must be something wrong with us if these stories keep showing up. I'm certain you can think of a couple of these stories right now. I know you can. It's human. While certain facts of what happened in the past are true, Chances are we have editorialized aspects of these accounts with assumptions about ourselves that are not entirely true. I will never get that new job, find love again, make new friends. Because of what happened, I will always be a loser, unlovable, unlikable. Again, these statements are assumptions, not truths. I help my clients stay away from the nevers, the always, and the evers, because they are clearly not based in fact. They're based in insecurities, in assumptions. They lead to limiting beliefs and unmet expectations. They are dream killers. They keep us from what I say are the three things that keep people happy and successful. Self-awareness self-regulation and self-acceptance self-regulation strategies are king here and this is why i work so closely on this with my clients and i will teach them to you here these help you get into the stories from your past and unravel the assumptions that you've placed on top of what is the truth I suspect that when you think hard, there are stories from your past that taught you things you value, that showed you good role models, that made you laugh. These are harder to remember at first until you revisit the warm feelings you felt in those situations, until you believe you deserve these warm feelings that override the fear your ego reminds you that you notice that fear that placed itself in your head over the remarkable incident when somebody put you down or took something that you valued or made fun of you or made you feel small. These are the ones we remember when we are only aware on the surface and our consciousness is not awake enough to remember some of the beautiful things that lie behind those. When I was growing up in Pittsburgh, I spent two weeks each summer and occasional weekends at my grandmother's house outside of town. These are wonderful memories that I have. My grandfather died when my mother was eight years old, so my grandma was the quintessential single mom in an era when hardly anyone was a single mom with children. And she had four My mother's siblings were much older and became a working part of traditional Italian practices that held the family together. Family was everything. My grandma worked long hours selling chickens in the store that she owned with my grandfather before he passed away. In my grandma's absence, my mother's older siblings became like parents to her at home. My uncle Jimmy, the oldest and only boy, eventually got his real estate broker's license and as a young man began buying rental properties in the steel mill town in which they lived. He was the quintessential playboy. Grandma was able to sell the store and retire early because of Jimmy's unrivaled success. I remember having to walk to the bank every day. Imagine that, I had to go to the bank every day because he was making so much money in rents, in deposits. It was unbelievable. Jimmy gave Grandma an office in his real estate business from where she orchestrated a very active career as a political organizer. Jimmy also taught my brother and I to dance. An essential skill for a playboy, don't you think? He showed me that life can be fun and serious at the same time. My Aunt Sissy worked in public housing as the highest-ranking female in the organization, an anomaly in that era. I never knew her for anything other than my Aunt Sissy because she never boasted about a title or how important she was at work. She was just very humble. She never talked about it. It wasn't important. The work was important. She had a lot of respect wherever we went. She never married. Nobody was ever good enough for my Italian grandmother to approve. Perfectionism serves nobody, but it was part of this family. I know that never having married had to have left my aunt Sissy lonely, but she never talked about that either. She was always smiling and leading and respected. Every day after work, Grandma and Sissy took me grocery shopping. Italians traditionally grocery shop every day because that's how you get the freshest food. Sometimes after dinner, they took me to the local department store for a new outfit. That was a real treat, except when I got to middle school and they wanted to pick out my clothes. We did not share the same taste, but it still was fun. Jimmy and Grandma gave me a place to sit in the real estate office. They stocked my desk with supplies to do whatever I wanted, draw, color, staple, cut. I had paper, I made things, and sometimes I got to help them with their paperwork. Mostly, I listened and observed deals being made, relationships being created, conflicts being resolved. Sissy took me on visits to properties she managed. Where I got to see how she handled difficult issues such as late rent, property damage, eviction. Never once did I see temper or emotion derail my Uncle Jimmy or Aunt Sissy's presence in any situation, nor my grandmother. They were opinionated and may have had a heated release in private after the fact, but never during an interaction. I saw deep listening, very matter-of-fact language, respect, and the enforcement of boundaries. Nothing was personal. It was business. Who have you observed that you want to emulate? You have to have stories from your past of your growing up where people role-modeled behavior that made an impression on you that continues to make an impression on you when you can set aside the nasty memories that get in the way, the head trash that keeps dogging you, the limiting beliefs that continue to remind you, oh, you're not good enough. During those years at Grandma's, I studied how people on both sides of an issue related to each other. I observed their presence, I was able to see how they advanced what they wanted, were resilient in the face of adversity, or drowned in disappointment and excuses, blame, worry. I saw how I wanted to be. I watched Jimmy retire in his early 40s, enjoying world travel and dancing, and a second home on the beach in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I observed then how quality of life was linked to financial independence, strategy, hard work, sound character, and good relationships. Surely in your past, someone role modeled that for you. What was it about that person? Was it the way they carried themselves? Was it their strength of character, their resilience? Remember the people that made an impression on you. A good impression. A quietly good impression. Not the strong, overbearing people in your face, but the quiet, gentle giants of your past. Then what do you see in yourself that reminds you of them? This ability to understand my own strengths of insight And discernment, my superpowers, helped me decide very early that I first wanted to have a close family and second wanted to be involved in something that gave me the autonomy to organize and lead. I saw that in my family. I saw what being a leader, what organizing took, how it wasn't always pretty, how sometimes there was conflict, how to conduct myself. Very important things to reflect on. I wanted a life by design and knew I had to present myself in the best way possible to do that well. My value was family and my strength was seeing the big picture and making important things happen. This is self-awareness. What is your brand? What are you valuing? What are you known for? This self-awareness helps you position that in everything that you do, and it helps to underscore your confidence, to grow that confidence. Now, for me, I fast-forward three decades where now I'm a stay-at-home mother with four children under seven, one with a developmental disability, living the country club life, and at the time in an unpalatable marriage. I filed for divorce as a leap of faith and was not at all prepared for the avalanche that befell my children and me. Within six months, the children and I were homeless and on public assistance. I applied for every utility forgiveness program there was. I never realized how difficult it must have been for her until I was living that myself. She didn't complain. Nobody complained. Nobody talked about the negativity in their lives. I'm not certain that that's entirely healthy, but of course, I was a child and that's all that I saw. I think it's really important to be able to understand the thoughts that were going on in my head and in their head back then. I'm sure behind closed doors, they had plenty of discussions on sadness I know that my uncle and my aunt were extremely upset when their father died. I know that my mother was devastated because she was only eight years old. But what people talked about were dreams. Dreams of the beach, of a sailboat, times with good friends, playing canasta, and how they overcame obstacles, how they were running the business, what they expected in the business. Emotions were rarely discussed in my family of origin. I think that happened a lot. Now today, fast forward to today, people are very adept at talking about their emotions. Everybody understands in the mental health world how much healthier that is. But all of that aside, what I saw as a child was grace under fire, goals, strategy, determination, Successful execution, poise, and a lot of Italian words I didn't understand. Maybe in those is where the emotions were being discussed. Today, we are much more aware of our thoughts and our emotions and our behaviors and how they are intertwined together. So when I look at this situation, when I was growing up, I watched my grandmother and my my uncle exemplify what it was to move forward part of the emotion associated with that had to include grief it had to include suffering it had to include despair worry I think it's healthy to discuss that and we go over that with my clients what's the emotion underneath the story what is trapped down there that needs to be honored and respected Was there fear? Was there despair? Was there anger? Talking that through helps to release it. If we hold it inside, it can't be released. We can release what we own. And discussing the emotion helps it to dissipate. Again, all I saw was grace. It wasn't easy for me either when I was going through my own personal transition. My divorce took seven arduous years. There was much hostility and denial. I was angry. I was really angry. I let anger move me to fear. Fear of trusting myself or anyone else. And I felt alone. All of this contributed to my emotions feeling small. My delivery as a leader... My strengths as a leader were strong. I showed up at work. I raised a lot of money. I could lead a team. People liked to work with me, but I felt alone. I didn't feel connected because deep down inside, I didn't feel that I deserved to be happy. I was angry about my situation. The story that kept blaring in my head at that time was that I didn't deserve better and that I would end up a failure, losing the respect of my children and never finding true love. I I never thought I would find true love. I kept thinking about how I had never felt I really fit in in elementary and high school. I went to an all-girls Catholic high school, and there were the cool kids and there was everybody else and the pretty people were the cheerleaders and the populars, and then there was everybody else. And I was so naive at the time, I didn't realize that 99% of the class was the everybody else. I just didn't think that I was one of the cool kids, so that made me feel left out. And then I grew up to find that's the way a lot of people felt about high school. Nonetheless, at the time, It still left me feeling very alone. I felt that I must not be fitting in because I wasn't worthy to fit in. And this broken record in my head didn't serve me very well. It kept me stuck until I started to broaden the story to where I was learning and growing. I started to remember what I observed in Grandma, Sissy, and Jimmy and what I wanted for my own life. This broadening of perspective, this changing of the lens that I talk about with my clients that I've talked about here on the podcast, is awareness of self and others, and the ability to self-regulate the doubt and flawed beliefs. This gave me power to take risks and move forward. I had the privilege to watch my father's family be successful in the face of diversity. So I knew what that looked like, and I pulled it off. I became a CEO very quickly, despite a lack of experience, despite having the right degrees, because I knew how to measure what mattered. I knew how to overdeliver deliver on goals. I knew how to carry myself with confidence. These are the things that we work on with my clients because if you cannot do these things, people don't trust that you can get the job done. Relating well, a very high-level executive presence skill. But success didn't feel authentic to me until I was able to feel I belonged where I was and that I deserved to be happy. Being there and feeling worthy are two different things. People are happy in life because they feel they belong and they feel that they're worthy. Conversely, the people that are unhappy in life feel they don't belong. They feel they don't deserve to be happy. But when you get to that place where you know you belong, where you can execute on all cylinders, even in the face of adversity, that's everything. Then everything falls into place. You have self-awareness. You have self-regulation. You have self-acceptance. You don't have to be perfect. You're awesome. Except for me, romantic love hadn't fallen into place. I had to learn self-regulation of my ego and self-acceptance to find that. Notice the negative stories from your past Take note of the assumptions you've made and how you've judged yourself based on those assumptions. Oh, I'm not blank enough. Oh, I can't do that. Watch the I am statements. I'm tired of this. I'm not good enough. I am, watch those I am statements. Notice how they make you feel and how they insert further judgment it is time to release those assumptions and judgment, isn't it? Then the quiet peace sets in. The needy ego can relax. And the softer, subtler, gentle side of you, the side that gives you a warm feeling, the side that gives others that same warm feeling, that comes out. You don't have to be the hardcore leader to make Good judgments, good decisions, and win favor. Allow the volume on the goodness inside of you to rise. Allow the details on the stories to become more vivid. Remember the good feelings from those quiet stories from your past. Again, surely there are loud stories from your past that you'd like to forget. But reach back and remember the quiet lessons. I'm working with a client right now who has a member, she's a new leader, and has a member on her team that just does not want to go along with the decisions that are being made. She thinks she knows better, and the entire organization has already made specific decisions in areas that she's not aligned with, and she keeps bringing up the past, living in the past, bringing up things that aren't working. And if this happens to you on your team, there are a couple of key things that you can do to allow that leader to be respected, but to draw a boundary around what you will and will not allow. And that's what a boundary is. It's simply an invisible line between what you will and you will not allow. This is where you say to the employee, we've already discussed that. And stop right there. You don't need to defend why this isn't important. Defend why this isn't going to work out. It's already been discussed. But when you continue to debate that with somebody, the rest of your team is watching you not be able to lead, but vacillating and playing the game of the other person. Again, if somebody keeps bringing up something that is not contributing to your team that has been vetted and discussed, you simply say, We've already discussed that, and then you change the topic. You move on, and if that person brings it up again, you're going to have to have a one-on-one conversation with that individual, at which point you will ask them, I notice that you continue to bring this up. What is your point in doing so? Do you think we're going to change our minds? This has already been discussed, and allow her to or him to be heard, and ask them again. This has already been decided. Next question, number two. How are you going to move on? Period. How are you going to move on? And this is sending a message, a very clear message, that this is a dead issue. And that you are asking them how they are going to move on because that is going to help them try and understand in their own head how they're going to do that. You cannot allow somebody to hold you hostage at a meeting and debate with them back and forth in front of other employees, things that have already been decided because you've lost control of the meeting. They're now leading the meeting and you're on the defensive. How do you do this? How do you remember to do these things? The whole theme of this podcast today is remember the quiet stories from your past where you watched other leaders lead and manage situations that may be contentious, that had conflict, what did they do? How did they carry themselves? In my past, I remember very discreetly how my relatives did not get upset, did not show emotion in the face of fire. They were very deliberate. They had certainty. They showed compassion but they were not negotiating on things that were hard set, like the amount of the rent, the move-in date, the move-out date, because those were things that couldn't be flexible. So my wish for you today is to remember those quiet stories from your past, those gentle giant leaders. Maybe just write down right now one person that you hadn't thought about for a long time, and one thing about them that you learned that you want to bring to your leadership today. For me, today it was my Aunt Sissy, my Uncle Jimmy, and my Grandma. Might be one of your relatives. Might be a neighbor. Might be a colleague. Might be a peer look at them from a different lens, a different perspective. There are lots of memories from my past where I may have expected too much from my aunt, sissy, and Uncle Jimmy and my grandmother, and they weren't there for me. And that clouded my judgment of them for a very long time. And then I got it in perspective when I put on a different lens, when I looked at it from a different perspective of all the wonderful things that i learned from them just being around them just being a part of their sphere of influence being a part of their aura i wish that for you today and i thank you for spending time with me as we did a little reminiscing that i hope will spur the same for you i'm glad you were with me today and i invite you to subscribe to this podcast And get any of my free publications at my website, MaryLeeGannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me.